Why are police photographing our license plates? What are we doing for veterans returning home damaged physically and mentally, suffering from depression, homelessness, and suicide? Why did the Supreme Court deposit corporate money into our electoral process? Should we redefine middle class as working poor? Or is it just another Wall Street merger? What's really behind new voter picture ID laws in certain states? Why aren't NBC, ABC, CBS, and Fox asking these questions? Welcome to the Reasonable Voice radio show. I'm your host, Marcello Rolando, the Reasonable Voice. The mission of the Reasonable Voice is to connect the dots between politics and finance, the need for better and more affordable education, our humanity, world peace, and, of course, the arts, which we then gladly provide our listeners, the voting public, as informative food for thought to provoke their self-determination and appetite for equal economic opportunity and justice for all without truth decay. The Reasonable Voices are advocates prioritizing education, preserving our history, leading by example for a peaceful and prosperous world by evoking and embracing both creative artists and political unity as solutions to our challenges. Hello, this is the Reasonable Voices talk radio show and I'm your host, Marcello Rolando. My Reasonable Voice guest today is Dr. Andrea Douglas, who is the director of the Jefferson School African American Heritage Center in Charlottesville, Virginia. Andrea Douglas holds an M.A. and Ph.D. in Art History from the University of Virginia and an M.B.A. in Arts Management and Finance from Binghamton University, New York. Formerly, she was curator of collections and exhibitions and curator of contemporary art at the University of Virginia. Currently, Andrea Douglas, Ph.D., is the executive director of Charlottesville's Jefferson School African American Heritage Center. Here today to talk about the nation's first memorial dedicated to the legacy of enslaved black people. Welcome, Andrea Douglas, Ph.D. How are you today? I'm well, thanks. How are you? I, I am well, and it's been a while since, um, well, certainly a while since we've talked on radio, and I'm certainly glad to have you as a guest. I know uh, everything keeps plowing ahead with you at the Jefferson School Heritage Center. You are now uh, the director of the Jefferson School African American Heritage Center. When did yeah. that become, I know it's been a while, but bring us back up to date. When did that become sure. your position? Well, you know, um, I've always been the director of the African American Heritage Center. Oh, that's there true, was a yes. point where I was also executive director of the foundation, um, the Jefferson School Foundation. Um, but, you know, the Heritage Center as a program in and of itself is it has always was always meant to be a a standalone institution. Mm -hmm. And so in 2016, um, 2015, the foundation board recognized that. Um, and in 2016, we became our own separate 501c3. So we've, uh, we've been operating as a, a standalone institution for almost two years now. Yes, yes. And fabulous, as you know, uh, maybe our listeners don't know, I've been uh, not as closely involved as I would like because our paths, are, both paths are both together and independently of one another, extremely busy. But we are both active and doing wonderful things in the community. I'll 
pat myself on the back and include myself in that. But, uh, <laughs> a well-deserved pat. Well, I appreciate it. I wasn't actually trying to go there, but it just I'm just so <laughs> impressed with, with all that you have brought to uh, Charlottesville. And, uh, and, you know, and Charlottesville has, like many cities, uh, shall we say, just south of Washington, D.C., everybody, every city has a history and has challenges. Charlottesville seems to... Um, my impression as a New Yorker coming to town, it, it has the best in both uh, of um, of some of the things that have happened in our country's history. Is that, uh, what do you think? Yeah, I think that, you know, um, in terms of, of where we are um, and, and Charlottesville's place historically, you know, there are those who define Charlottesville as almost the, the beginnings or the where the notion of an American republic um, those ideas are, are burgeoned, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, but as we well know, um, as, as, you know, my, our friend Obama is always able to say, he talks about this imperfect um, democracy. Mm-hmm. And so Charlottesville also can be seen as a place where the ideas of democracy and uh, it, both from its origins to its present day um, manifestations um, are always subject to conversation and debate. So um, when one thinks about how, in and I guess specifically we lived through last year and what what we come up with um, in terms of our own set of social and, and, and local values, there, there's, you know, Charlottesville is a place that constantly is, if not reinventing itself, it certainly is very self-reflective. Um, yes. I think that's that's a, a really good way of thinking about how we live. And you know, and and I think that's, uh, I think that is an asset. I think that is something certainly that University of Virginia tries to, especially in recent years. Uh, it obviously uh, has a lot to sort of. Um, uh, adjust, uh, you know, correct, and I think it is having uh, events in which I've been involved, for that matter, of trying to recognize and rebalance and align what uh, truth and dignity and human decency are. But I also think for sure that the Jefferson School uh, Heritage Center is certainly uh, with that, with uh, at the very least the the events, the the artwork, the theater, the uh, the alumni room where uh, state of the art computers are open to the public. I mean, it's just amazing what you've done. But much of the reason for your calling to talk today is about uh, the nation's first memorial dedicated to the legacy of enslaved black people. You alluded to last summer, Charlottesville now is probably known most of all because of August 12th, 2017, and yet there's more to that story as well as what you're trying to accomplish through the African American Heritage Center Jefferson School. But let us start wherever you want. I just want to make certain we get to this museum. Yes. Let me start by saying that last year I was a member of the Blue Ribbon Commission on monuments um, and public spaces, race monuments and public spaces. Yes. And um, actually that was, began in 2016 and continued into 2017 Mm -hmm. um, in terms of the recommendations that were made. So one of the recommendations that was made 
sort of press pushed down to the end of the list, but no less important within the larger conversation around um, our public spaces and how we uh, deal with public art in those public spaces was this idea of um, the Equal Justice Initiative's lynching mm-hmm. project, lynching memorial project. And it was suggested, recommended by the Blue Ribbon Commission, in particular Frank Dukes, that brought us that brought that to our attention, that we participate in their program. Mm-hmm. And essentially, what that program is is that the Equal Justice Initiative has identified 4,300 lynchings that occurred in America that can be described as acts of terrorism, specifically against Black people. Mm-hmm. There are people who will describe lynchings more generally, but these lynchings are very specific to uh, the 1898 period, and they carry through into the late 1950s. Yes. And so Albemarle County has is the site of one of such lynchings that is part of that list. Mm-hmm. The actual lynching event occurred out in the Ivy area mm-hmm. um, in a place called Woods Crossing. Oh, yes. Um, but the the location, or, or when we talk about it as an abrogation of the law, the lynching occurred as he was being conveyed back into Charlotte from, from Stanton, where he was taken the night before in fear of, because of fear of mob retaliation. Mm-hmm. Um, John Henry James was accused of raping uh, a woman. Mm-hmm. as he was leaving her outside of her farm, which um, that site is over in the Penn Park area. And the description of it said that he knocked her out and then um, assaulted her. Mm-hmm. So he was arrested on the 11th after the alleged act and then was taken to jail in Charlottesville. But again, as I say, because of mob fear of mob retaliation, which was sort of thing. He was moved to Stanton and on his way back, uh, a mob of described of about 100 to 150 um, unmasked men mm. um, apprehended the train, dragged him off the train, um, hung him, shot him 40 times, mm. and then left his body there. And over the time that the body was there hanging, visitors came past the body to remove parts of his clothing and parts of his body. Um, So this is the description of the lynching that occurred in Charlottesville. And so this is the description of the lynching um, that um, has been recorded by the Equal Justice Initiative and um, recorded in the by having a module. This is what they call them, a module. It's Uh a six foot copper slab that weighs about 300 pounds Mm -hmm. that engraved on it is the name of the county where the the action occurred, the the murder occurred, and then the name of the person who was the victim of that. And so the process entails that we collect soil from the original site, Mm -hmm. and then we bring that soil to the Monument to Peace and Justice, where it will reside. Okay. And then... Let me interrupt you, just because I know what you're talking about, so it's all clear Mm -hmm. to me, but... But let's back up a little bit and talk about this creation, the Equal Justice Initiative, to make mm-hmm. certain, uh, because that certainly was no small undertaking uh, to be created uh, by, uh, I think you've told me, Attorney Brian Stevenson. Yes, 
Brian Stevenson, yes. So the, the Equal Justice Initiative, I think, began, I would say, two or three years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the, the, the monument to lynching and the, or the museum to lynching and the monument to peace and justice just recently opened yes. on April 26th. Yes. And they're located in Montgomery, Alabama. And as you said, it's the only institution specifically created to recognize the of lynching in America. Mm-hmm. In relationship to Brian Stevenson, you know, he is a civil rights attorney. Um, he works on uh, cases of false incarceration mm-hmm. and essentially is in concerned with the system of mass incarceration of African-American peoples mm-hmm. in this country. And so he sees the connection between or creates a connection between lynching and the system of the of mass incarceration. Yes. Uh, so this is, is, is sort of this living, breathing testament to these deaths, and then a way for um, America to really come to terms with the implications of these acts mm-hmm. um, as a, as form of, of systemic control. Yes. You know, and I don't know that people always really get that. I mean, I think I'd like to believe that we. We get the horror of it, um, those who, who look. And I certainly have seen many films and, of course, videos that are now on the Equal Justice Initiative. And, of course, having known you and seen some of the events that you brought to the Jefferson School Heritage Center. But it, it, in addition to the horror, uh, as you say, it's important to realize this was done to keep a, an entire people in a subjugated position. Um, And I don't think that's stating it too. And the problem, in addition to that initial horror of just thinking you had a right to do that, is that that went on and on and on, lynching in particular, and of course, prejudices and biases. And uh, I think what I've I've heard, enslavement after emancipation. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, I think that, you know, lots of, you know, when you say the word peonage to the average American, uh-huh. they are not as, as, as well versed in the idea of post-emancipation 13th Amendment peonage. Mm-hmm. Um, but the 13th Amendment essentially gives, um, emancipates all enslaved people except for those who are, um, defined as vagrants. And right after the, the, the end of the Civil War and, and, and emancipation, the vagrancy laws become a, a important piece of the overall black code laws that are used in order to create a labor force that continues the um, labor associated with plantation. So, in other words, right. we went from sl- enslaving people as and calling them slaves to calling mm-hmm. them uh, prisoners in forced labor because they're vagrants and they're criminals and that this is right. how they serve their time. Right, exactly. And so, so you know, this is this is the the era of the creation of the chain gang. You know, mm, these yes. people who are are sort of 
picked up um, for various reasons. And again, the, the kind of insidiousness of it all is here you have the end of a major war. Yes. And the idea that only 1% of the African-American population could read, for instance, during this period, so that their ability to enter into contract that would allow them to then be employed, very limited. The idea that once you leave a plantation, you're on the road looking for your family, let's say. Mm. Your main concern is not employment. Mm. It's to try and re reconcile yourself with, with your lost loved one. Yes. You're subject to being picked up because at that point, you're without employment and therefore defined as a vagrant. A vagrant yes. so, so this this process of, of imprisonment that leads to the disproportionate involvement of African-American men in the penal system suggests that this is not just about, you know, criminals. Yes. But this is about a system. And then when you also think about this idea of the mass migration of, of, of blacks from the south to the north. Um, we think of this, we've always been told that this was a, about, you know, looking for uh, employment, better life, etc., etc. But in, in very real ways, especially in, in places like Tennessee and these lower southern states, mm -hmm. this is about fleeing from mass terrorism. Yes. The reason why we have the 14th Amendment isn't because Congress you know, suddenly began to decide to give, first you, you know, first you emancipate people, and then two years later, it mm -hmm. takes two years mm -hmm. for the 14th Amendment to be um, ratified, you then give them citizenship, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. The 14th Amendment that allows for citizenship then allows them to have, to, to, to participate in rights that would then make people, um, formerly enslaved people, not subject to the implications associated with, with, with the 13th Amendment and the vagrancy and black code laws. So you can see that all of this, this stuff is at the very heart of the inception of what one would call the new United States post-Civil War era, which takes us into the 20th and now the 21st century. And the systemic um, terrorism of black people is what we're, some of us who believe mm -hmm. that that is the case, will argue, continues today. Absolutely. Mass incarceration and all of it. We're going to have to take a short break. We are talking with Andrea Douglas, Ph.D., the executive director of Charlottesville's Jefferson School African American Heritage Center. Stay with us. We'll be right back. And now, enjoy Watchfire Music featuring vocal artist Jenny Burton singing Tear Down the House from Is Anybody Listening? Yeah. 
Welcome back to the Reasonable Voices Talk Radio Show. I'm your host, Marcello Rolando. My guest today is Andrea Douglas, Ph.D., the Executive Director of Charlottesville's Jefferson School African American Heritage Center. And we've been talking uh, a lot today about not only how far the uh, Heritage, uh, African American Heritage Center has come under her leadership, but that it is her main focus now, and we've been talking about the Equal Justice Initiative and how that sort of came out of a number of things, but commissions that um, Andrea has been a part of at the University of Virginia and other places, but also Brian Stevenson creating the Equal Justice Initiative um, perhaps as early as the late 1980s, I think, and, and now has been on a mission recently to use uh, DNA to reverse legal court decisions that were decided incorrectly. And he's done this successfully, Andreas tell, told me, for approximately, I believe, 267 cases. That's yeah. t- 267 people serving hard time in prisons and only to be released when the truth about DNA truth came to light. Why don't we start? Yeah, let's start with that, and 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 then we'll get back to the soil. I don't want to forget that because that is such a, um, an amazing project. But what about these cases being reversed? And I guess the work goes on, as they say. Yeah, and and the work does go on, and and Charlottesville, you know, to some extent is 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 involved in that kind of stuff too. Um, I don't know completely all the details, but John Grisham has always has been at the head oh, spearheading. Yes. These these movements toward um, overturning uh, decisions based on DNA. So, you know, these are the kinds of of ideas that Brian Brian Stevenson um, suggests are things that Charlottesville has always sort of considered Mm -hmm. and addressed. Um, And in fact, he was here. He was brought by I think it was Legal Aid last year. to, to give a talk about um, the work that he had been doing, um, and I think John was involved with bringing him here. So I think that you know when you're when you're again you're talking about Charlottesville and how it it, it sort of moves. Um, it's it, you don't want to think about it as serendipity, but you do want to say that we as a community that. Um, has for quite some time been engaging in a discourse around race. Yes. Um, are, are, are more aware of those movements, I think, um, that will allow and people to think about racial reconciliation than maybe some other places. Um, I don't know that to be true, but I have that sense um, from the work that I do here at the Heritage Center, mm-hmm. that there is something about the way we think, whether um, it actually leads to change, is yet to be seen. But we've seen baby steps, right? Yes, yes. The first African-American female mayor um, oh, yes, that's right. voted in who comes to her work from an Af- a fairly activist platform. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, the tenor of the conversation, given her leadership, then push us into a direction such as the one that we're taking um, with EJI. Um, yes. The person I'm working with is Dr. Jelaine Schmidt, who is a um, professor at UVA, an associate professor at, um, at UVA um, in religious studies, mm-hmm. and also a, a sort of one of the leaders in our Black Lives Matter movement and and 
wholly defines herself as an activist. But when we think about the work that we're doing and the way it has a relationship to the charge, for instance, of this Blue Ribbon Commission, mm-hmm. it's really to think about the history of race in our community. And that's a history that only now being addressed. You know, the university started some five years ago mm-hmm. with their President's Commission on Slavery at the university, which I was, a steer, I was a member of that committee. I am now leading, co-chairing the new iteration of that committee, mm-hmm. which is the Committee on Segregation mm-hmm. at the university, or the segregation period at the university. So um, this kind of ferment exists. But in the in the wake of August 12th, you found that there were very many people who were interested in kind of helping Charlottesville heal. Yes, um, and that was that's a that's a big uh, question. You know, how do we heal? And I can't think of a, a more tangible, object-based um, opportunity than this EJI pilgrimage yes. towards that. Um, and, 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 and doing it from the inside and, and causing people to reevaluate history simultaneously. Mm-hmm. That's, that's what we hope that at the end of the process, which is not um, going to end, you know, once we get back from, from Montgomery, uh-huh. but we'll continue beyond that into the next year. We've come back full circle to where we sort of started, and that is uh-huh. this wonderful project of where there were, where the lynchings took place in our area. Different areas are doing uh-huh. this, but in the Charlottesville, Albemarle area uh, and other areas, people are collecting soil, collecting the earth uh, uh, where lynchings took place, and since this, the Memorial of Peace and Justice, or Memorial to Peace and Justice, opened on April 26, 2018, now busloads of people are going to be traveling to Montgomery, Alabama, and, uh, and, and taking that soil to be a part of that Memorial to Peace and Justice. Take us from there. Uh-huh. Yeah, so so one of the things that we, this, this process is sort of two-pronged, right? Mm-hmm. One is the actual act of taking the soil, and then the other one is, is, is the community education. Mm-hmm. And the community education for us is happening both um, in the larger Charlottesville community, but it's also happening in the high school community as well. Mm-hmm. So we are working with teachers um, to provide a PD for them, which is um, a day where they can receive um, credit towards accreditation, uh, continued accreditation, um, by meeting and working with someone um, named Kevin Levin, who's an expert on Civil War and the Jim Crow period. Mm-hmm. Um, that will then lead to an essay contest um, amongst rising 10th and 11th graders, mm-hmm. where there is a cash prize. Um, we'll also be conducting um, several uh, public programs that will allow for conversation around the history of post-emancipation and Jim Crow over mm-hmm. the course of the year. And then ultimately, our progression down to Montgomery is not just a bus trip, but it's a pilgrimage. Mm. And so 110 people, as many as 110 people, will board two buses on July 8th 
and travel to sites um, of importance to you know our 20th century civil rights history. Mm-hmm. Now, they, right? so yes, yeah, so you've got it's, you're making stops on the way that have mm-hmm. to do with that history. Tell us about that. Yes, exactly. So um, we're going to start out at Appomattox, um, mm-hmm. and and which is the site of the surrender. Yes. After the Civil War occurs at Appomattox, then we'll go to Danville. Danville is known most um, for being number one, the second capital of the Confederacy, mm. and number two in 1963 to being the site of uh, Bloody Monday, which um, within that Civil War 1963-64-65 period was one of the most violent actions by whites against black students in 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 history mm-hmm. um danville at one point um was described by martin luther king as more hate violent and and um uh racist mm-hmm. than birmingham mm-hmm. you know they were on par in his mind if, and if danville may be taking the lead in that regard and in fact when when he went when king went to birmingham uh the second time he was actually on his way to danville oh. first but he was called to birmingham mm-hmm. and that's a little known story i would mm. say in the state um we did an exhibition at the heritage center of uh portrait uh, I think it was now a year ago, and it was what was most in- intriguing to me about all of that is that Danville is maybe an hour and a half away from here, mm-hmm. and people in Charlottesville had no idea mm. that this had ever even occurred in 1963. So, you know, there's lots to be said about what that means, mm-hmm. but yes. Danville important nonetheless. And from there, we go to Greensboro, so mm-hmm. um, where we'll visit the Truth and Reconciliation Commission, the International Civil Rights Center, mm-hmm. and the Living Museum of the New South. And that's where the um, the, the uh, images of lynching are located. Mm-hmm. So we'll tour that exhibition. Um, we'll leave Greensboro on, on the 9th and arrive in Atlanta, and then from Atlanta to Birmingham, and then we arrive on the 12th in Montgomery. And important about that arrival is that would be then the 120th anniversary of the lynching of uh, of the murder of, of John, John Henry, Henry James. James. Yes, July 12th. So, so yeah. it's it's significant to the extent that on July 8th, when we leave, it's the one year anniversary of when the Klan um, came to Charlottesville, and on the 12th, it's the anniversary of mm. you know that. 30-year history then of Klan-based terrorism um, because, you know, the Klan has, begins its its life of terror in 1868. This lynching occurs in 1898, and although not a Klan lynching per se because nobody in the crowd was wearing hoods, mm-hmm. certainly the tactics developed by that organization are the tactics, the mob-like men tactics that are being used in Charlottesville mm-hmm. um, in Albemarle County at the time. So I think there's very many significant opportunities here. And in terms of creating a, an experience, 110 people, while a small percentage of the population mm-hmm. certainly is a large enough percentage that when we get back and begin to do the, the other work, we are doing the process yes. of a kind of reconciliation that could not have happened as immediately as it was hoped to happen last year. Yes, exactly. 
March 3rd, 2019, what's happening? Well, March 3rd, 2019, we're going to celebrate, this will be the third celebration of Freedom and Liberation Day. Yes. Because in Charlottesville, uh, the Union soldiers come to Charlottesville, march into Charlottesville on March 3rd. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it is the act of, uh, of, you know, of emancipation is the act of, of the, the Union Army coming in and declaring that enslaved people are therefore emancipated mm-hmm. um, beyond just what the proclamation does. So, so, so on March third is when we'll announce the winners of the uh, of the of the essay contest. Mm-hmm. Interestingly, as well, you know, we will also during this period be working on the language of the markers that oh, will yes. mark the site uh-huh. of it. And, um, and that mean and you so, mean locally? You, know, you mean local the local sites? Yes, of okay. the local sites. Okay. So the, those markers will include a general description of lynching from the EJI, and then also will describe the the actual lynching that occurred here. But I think that when you take the process in its entirety. What is very important, at least to me, is the way in which we address our global and local knowledge of American history. Yes. And how we are able to then reconcile ourselves with that history. And while we want to say and see ourselves as progressive, we have to be cognizant of the fact that the history of the lost cause, for instance, um, is very much a part of our temporary education. Hmm. Our children are still being taught the lost cause narrative. Mm-hmm. They're still being defined. Um, the idea of enslavement in the Civil War is still being defined as being solely about um, Right. Yes. Uh-huh. And that that unwillingness to accept the fact of the damage done to America. Yes. That is enslavement is something that we have to deal with. Exactly. And and, and, and we haven't. I mean, I I've known. Uh, I have a dear friend. Uh, I haven't seen him such a long time, but he was great. Practical. It was not um, an, a historian, I guess, in fact or in degrees, but he uh, he studied Black history. He he, he too was an American African American, but he studied the history. And I used to ask him questions, and he would say, he would give me these antidotes that like a simple thing of what cracker came from and the cracking of the whip and it just it 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 helps us all we talk about not dehumanizing people and we think about lynching and and enslavement and those of course are the most brutal racial terrorist acts but there are other ways of dehumanizing people and and once we once we face that on an individual basis we sort of uh we see ourselves in it, you know. Once we see people as people, we we relate better. Well, I think even when you think about this as an as as a descriptor of this as African American history, yes. right? This isn't African American history. This is American yes. history. Yes. Yes. And the more that we reveal 
American history and the truth of American history and stop articulating it as the advancement of, of democracies through the actions of, of great white men mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and every now and then the actions of great white women mm. um, and defining that history solely as American history and all of this other history as belonging to some, you know, to, to, to an other that is not them because God knows they would never. But in fact, not only would they never, but they did for 400 years. Yes. So, yes. And, and, and some of us will argue continue to, um, in one form or another. Mm -hmm. So, um, I think that the, the project overall, in terms of education, is to reconcile these these seemingly disparate pieces. They're not operating in parallel. They are, in fact, operating um, one in, yes. in, in 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 relationship to the other, not sure. in parallel. Yes. Um, and 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 honestly, saying to ourselves, this is a system. Mm-hmm. White supremacy is systemic. Yes. Yes. And it and it reveals itself in these ways, and those ways include articulations of our public spaces. They include the ways in which we define our economic class structures, the way we define our gender-based structures, mm. and they it is inextricably tied to the ways in which humanity has dealt with each other mm-hmm. and so so so, so to, to sort of kind of create this bifurcation or this this um, fabrication of separateness meaning that's American history but this is black history mm-hmm. or African American history that's part of the falsehood of the narrative right yes, yes. and so what those the true uh, project needs to be and I think that when you look at anyone who does the work that I do, anyone who is working from the point of view, um, you know, Lonnie Bunch, when he talks about the the goal of the National Museum of African American History and Culture, is to articulate American history mm-hmm. that is more complete. That is why you see the um, development of so many institutions such as this, because there is um, new scholarship, mm-hmm. there are new eyes, and we have spent the last 20 years articulating a particular cultural value that is not the cultural value that we're living with today. You know, Andrea, I know we could go on and on, and there's so much, and, and maybe we'll just have to get you back on the show, uh, but I I just, um, uh, you know, I go back to, of course, the, the half that was never told. I know I'm butchering the title, but... But uh, I was uh, never a history teacher, but I substituted in history and other social sciences from time to time. And I'm still to this day am livid when I realize I never taught history. You know, I taught taught this version. And, you know, uh, okay, We, we want to get people on the bus. We want as many people as possible to be a part of this pilgrimage this education uh-huh. so that they then can talk to their high school students and the high and students all around can be involved in this so tell us how do we how do people get involved how do we how do we get on the bus well, if you, yeah if you go to our website um uh, jeffschoolheritagecenter.org and then look for um link is under events 
um, monument to lynching. Mm-hmm. We'll be the tab. Click that, and all the information is there, as well as how to enroll and um, uh, participate at, at multiple levels. We must go, but I want you to tell, take us out on, because when I first mentioned this to a couple of people, and they said, well, why do you want a museum to lynching? And I, I'm, I well, you answer that, because I gave them my answer. Take us out on that. Why is this kind of building, these slabs, these names of counties and individuals, and what you're doing with high school students to to make them a part of this lesson, uh, why is that so important, particularly now, if I may add? Well, I think it all is about truth-telling. Mm. I think it's all about the capacity and ability to learn from our our, our, our own histories. Mm-hmm. And to have those histories accessible um, demands that you place them in the public realm. Um, and that you demand demands that you remove the barriers so that at any moment someone can attain the kind of knowledge that it takes. I personally don't believe that when you understand the implications and the kind of damage that occurs to a psyche, both white, black, Asian or otherwise, when you see that in its truth, that you can easily incorporate that into your own physicality. Mm-hmm. I think that when you think about how we are, how history is described, the omissions are intentional. Yes. And I think that the more that we reveal the truth, is the more that we arrive at a relationship where we are respecting the humanity of those around us. Yes. Um, and as opposed to thinking of ourselves as separate and otherwise and thinking of ourselves as as, as uh, complete without the other. Mm-hmm. It's just not. Yes. And so I think those are the reasons why you 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 memorialize and why you create facilities that educate. Um, We're not celebrating the violence. We're educating and remembering those who the violent act was, 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 uh, against. Yes. Right. And when you really think about it, you know, think about that number 4,300 known lynchings. When you kill 4,300 people, that's, that, that is not, mass genocide but it begins to you know yes it, march it, in that direction exactly exactly and that's not that's not hysteria that's that's the truth and a spectator's sport when it took place too let's not oh, forget that uh a spectator sport a teaching opportunity yes. you know an opportunity for acculturation yes any number of those things um, and I don't know that these are the things that I want my child certainly to be exposed to. Mm-hmm. And I don't want my child to be, um, be, be, be fooled by the possibilities of that kind of hate. Mm-hmm. I, I wonder, um, I, I know, and I, and I say this often, it wasn't just men who were slaves. Women and children were slaves, too. But I'm going to ask you, were women and children uh, lynched? 
Yes. Exactly. Yes. Not only that, lynched in sometimes in the instance that um, if they could not find the man to lynch, they would oh, lynch yes. the woman. Oh, yes. Yes, I, yeah. I had read that. And there was no uh, consideration of age. It wasn't about how old the person was. You know, 13-year-old and 14-year-old boys who, who, who deigned to look up at a white woman mm. were subjected to the possibility of violence. You know, mm. um, it's not a lynching, but think about Emmett Till. What was Emmett Till's crime? Yes. Yes. Right? He's 14 so, years old. Yeah. And, and there are others other than Emmett Till. We know Emmett Till because his mother demanded that. Um, that but that doesn't yes. mean that there weren't others who were subjected to it. Well, our, our time is up, but let's make certain. Is there a deadline to register or to buy a ticket for the pilgrimage? Well, I think we have been doing it first come, first serve. Okay. Um, we are coming close to certain of our limits. So if you have a desire, you should act on it quickly okay. as opposed to waiting. Okay. Um, and that website one uh, more time? Uh, um forward slash events forward slash monument to lynching. All right. Thank you so very much, Dr. Andrea Douglas, for being on The Reasonable Voices today. It is an amazing history that we need to, to realize. It's, 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 it's our history, as she says. It's American history. Uh, please, uh, please be involved. Thank you so much, Andrea. Really appreciate you being sure. on the show. Bye now. Okay. Bye-bye. And now, enjoy Watchfire Music, featuring vocal artist Julia Wade singing Beautiful from her new CD, Sunday Morning. Oh, sing unto the Lord a new song. Sing unto the Lord all the earth. For the Lord is great and greatly to be praised. Hello, I'm Marcello Rolando, the Reasonable Voice, thanking you for joining us and becoming one of the reasonable voices heard around the world. We can step up with the links or choose national suicide by Trump Pence. Revoking our curiosity to discover new truths can lay us welcome Matt Bear beneath the feet of ad hoc predators, smearing their gluttony on our dreams with fractious attempts to recapture myths that long ago implemented bait-and-switch mind games, 
flip-flopping our monsters and heroes. Have we become doped up on an addiction to Pence evangelical hypocrisy drugged by visions of supreme grandeur? Are we self-induced by hyperbole, hyping our religious biases, racial prejudices, sexual hate, legendary envy of antebellum economy secured by means of man's inhumanity to African Americans? Do we fear being reconstructed by waves of common decency replacing lynchings and homophobic murders? Renewal requires earnest accord in daily communion, emitting courageous camaraderie, absent negative labeling, void of self-ridicule heaped on others, opting instead to embrace all with empathetic human connection. Beware our constant thoughts resulting in repetitious rants cutting actions both ways, revealing our true motives, inspiring good, bad, and ugly. Know this, three weeks of consistent advocacy defines what we become habitually. What then, years aided and abetted by misinformation, the under-informed, the super-wealthy Great Recession sponsors of a new low in conservatism, passing off corporatism as TV radio news. Dazed, being high on our lowest, we may believe again after expulsion of Pence and Trumpisms, all will instantly realign our world with real and imagined FDR domestic Marshall Plan, JFK suspending nuclear holocaust, King's dream for all of God's children, Bobby Kennedy's America of racial equality with no poverty, Clinton's economic surplus, Obama's Affordable Care Act, and prioritizing Asia as the vital future keystone for American foreign policy. However, greatness demands amazing grace a transcendence in sharp contrast to Pence's disdain for LGBTQ Americans and Trump's personal ATM presidency. It's witnessing all humanity in the watchfires of equality with exceptionalism's electoral overtones harmonizing justice with every belief, every preference, every persuasion, and every color. Elevating pursuit of happiness beyond con artist puppet strings. If we hope to avoid what's past his prologue, once we're free at last from Trump-Pence alternative facts altering our history, then refraining from ridiculing, subjugating, or ignoring others is our civic duty right here and right now. Spoiler alert. There will be little return to laughing at our foibles, individual joie de vie, national pride, or international respect unless during this shameful darkness of self-inflicted derision of each other, we embrace, leave no one behind. Patriotism stops not at a hand over heart and stars and stripes standing, while misquoting misinterpretations of our rarely read Constitution. It's the daily bread of living all for one and one for all. True patriots try to protect the less fortunate from Capitol Hill bullies defending Wall Street villains looking down on our future from behind smoked window stand-ins for a wizard's curtain. The remnant patriot act glaze of opportunistic conservatives may, for decades, dim our ensemble power view, but the slop of Jeff Sessions and Ryan Adelson Republican bond afterglow confirm this habitual self-delusion. Money can fool all of the people all of the time. 
especially when ensconced by a Russian grip on the imbalance of a reality show president. Even now, however, reason's vision can shake off the dust of Republican branding. Like Bush-Cheney Guantanamo, Trump hence isolationist supremacy, Congress knowingly rubber-stamping what's unsound. Once the multitudes reject stabbed-us-in-the-back invectives, electing instead America's golden rule, we will rise anew from the ashes of bullies, realizing, one, local activism is best when advocating globally. Two, listening beyond hearing helps even the successful and prosperous dispel feelings of loneliness and loss in the silence of the crowd. Three, preventing lead poisoning from military weapons training in school cafeterias saves children. Four, regardless of the cause, global warming and climate change are escalating loss of safe food while foreshadowing the inevitability of wars for clean water. Better to emulate the lynx than Ku Klux Klan. To have life and have it abundantly after Trump pence, we need start now. Disregard media propaganda about Trump supporters. Team up with step. Erase hate and align with powerful liberal women like Supreme Court Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg, rather than settling for a handshake between two global male bullies. We need rescue America's pride, because both national and earthly self-destruction happen when the moderate majority fails to pay attention to the secret motives of the moneyed minority. Thank you, and join us. Become one of the reasonable voices. Third round the world. Thank you for continuing to listen to, support, and share the Reasonable Voice Blog Talk Radio with family and friends, especially online. We enjoy hearing from you, and in response, yes, we are now accepting new company and business advertisers and welcoming organizations seeking to be one of our sponsors. So please do continue to email us at thereasonablevoice at gmail.com. However, if you prefer to simply make a donation, your donations are greatly appreciated and can be made through PayPal by clicking on the donate button found at the top of the homepage of the Reasonable Voice. Website. Thank you for joining us today to make every day as reasonable as possible. We hope you will download and share our downloadable podcasts. I'm Marcello Rolando, the Reasonable Voice, hoping you will become one of the reasonable voices heard round the world.